the competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet now your host nick nanavani Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nanavati, and this week we are joined by a very, very, very special guest. The World Team Championships just happened, the WTC, where teams from every single Warhammer playing country that can muster their forces gather together in one location in Belgium to compete in what is essentially the Olympics, but for Warhammer 40,000. I myself have had the pleasure of playing on Team America and on Team England. I've gone eight times. This was the first time I didn't actually go in person in so long, and I had the most immense FOMO ever. But I have actually secured us Pumba, the captain of Team Poland. Team Poland was the winner of this year's WTC and is the most winning team at the WTC ever. They've won the most times. They've podiumed the most times. They are a 40K dominating force. And for most of our English-speaking listeners here, I'm sure that might be news to you. You might not know how or why or what that's like. We are here to unpack it. Pumba, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. It, I, it is an immense pleasure and such an honor to, to have you here as a guest, so thank you. So what we're going to do here is break this up into a two-part show. Part one is going to be all about what the WTC is, how do you prepare for it, what Poland 40K even looks like, and how is it able to topple behemoths like England and America that have so much more reach and so many more players and such a wider, diverse set of tournaments. What? How does Poland do it? We're going to figure it all out. And then in part two, we're going to get to know Literally, how did they do it? Team pairings, world team championships, this army into that army. What you thought the scores would be, round by round blows. The story of what happened at the world team championships, as told by the captain of the winning team. So if you are excited about this kind of content, you want to see more, and you want to be part of the wonderful subscriber base that we have here that gets access to all the part twos of every episode we do, please go on to AOW40K.com and subscribe to our Patreon. You get access to our amazing Discord server, as well as all the part twos where we're going to unpack the beauty that is Poland at WTC. Pumba, are you ready? Yes, I'm very excited for this. I'm super excited. I don't know if you could tell. Please, I'm, I'm done talking. You tell me the story. How? What is Polish 40K like? Uh, that's a very um, complex question. So the Polish 40K scene... Mm, I think the most important uh, thing about Polish for this casing is the fact that we really focus around WTC and this type of uh, differential scoring play. Differential scoring, for everybody that doesn't know or is not aware, is a system that has been developed from back when, actually, I think it came from uh, Fantasy Battles, from Warhammer Fantasy. And basically means that just winning the game by one point isn't enough, let's say, let's call it that. Instead, you are scoring on a matrix of um, of possible 20 points to score from a game, and that um, score differs from 0 to 20 for one side or 20 to 0 to the other. And what actually matters for your final score is the difference between your victory points and your opponent's victory points. So it's not enough to just outscore your opponent in the game by one point. Instead, you are trying to make the uh, difference between your scores as big as uh, as it's possible, right? To actually score big points. Yeah, it's a big mentality shift from what we consider singles play here in America or in the UK to team play, where your your whole 
everything matters for everybody else and the difference of your score matters. So sometimes you get much more aggressive than you would for and take a safe conservative win. There's a lot of different approaches to it. Exactly. Um, so the first part of the Polish 40k uh, scene is we always play in that system. Even in the singles event, it is the most encouraged systems. That's why um, sometimes from play time, uh, if our uh, one of the, our biggest events, for example, pops up in the statistics, you might scratch your head seeing somebody with, for example, four wins and one draw might place higher than someone with just five wins because they have a wonder, um, with, uh, won their games higher on the differential system. It's basically how we do all events, not only team events. And that mentality, I think, translates into how we prepare for our um, WTC. Uh, it is also how the whole community and our player base is always developing in that particular environment and that particular system, which helps immensely. This question on that real quick. You know, it's, it's clear why you guys are such a dominating force at the team tournament style formats here. But if you're playing this, we'll call it battle points as a system, just for an older type of nomenclature here. Um, basically, the, you, you have to smash your opponents to really get first place with any reliability. If just winning consistently will get you like maybe 12 eights where you're barely beating them, but you're consistently beating them, um, as opposed to you want to be smashing them 20 zeros in that single style play. Does that get players to get into a more aggressive mindset and focus on a a whole table you type of game culture, or is it more nuanced than that? It very much depends, because there's two sides of the coin. Um, the first side of this coin is, as you've said, you are trying to get as many 20 zeros as physically possible, right? And that also forces you, if you want to go to such an event, even the singles event, to possibly uh, take the best possible army that's actually able to score those 20. And uh, to score 20-0, for example, in the system, you need to beat your opponent by, by more than 50 points. It's incredibly difficult to actually achieve that. The second uh, side of that coin is if you actually get into an unfavorable matchup for your army, which can very much happen and always happens at events, actually scoring any points from that game, bringing it as close as possible, even if it's a bad matchup for you, can actually um, make your effort trying to win that tough game against a very good army so much more rewarding so let's say i'm playing any other army in the meta let's call it thousand suns because i'm a thousand suns player sure they are a very good army but they are definitely not the very top and i'm playing against eldari and now in the typical system of uh just trying to win by one point um it doesn't really matter for me if i lose um 100 to, to 80 points, 100 to 20 points. However, in the diversion system, if I smash my other games and then come up against something that I just cannot deal with efficiently or I know I'm going to lose probably, it's still very valuable for me to try to get squeeze out every single point I can out of this game because it, because it will significantly impact, impact my positioning on the uh, last, on the actual... Uh, List, the final right? standings. Exactly. Yeah. The standings of the tournament. That makes so a lot of sense. Right? Mm -hmm. So even though I'm probably not playing the best army, it's still very valuable for me to learn to squeeze out every single point from a game, even though I'm not going to win. Is there a lot of singles ego culture in Poland, or is it all centered around like forming the best WTC team, being the best team player you can be? Winning a singles event matter? Yes and no. So um, the gist of it... 
Currently, I think uh, we have around one uh, big GTE-style event a month, and half of them, I would say, are single events, singles events, and half of them are team events. Uh, usually, actually, the team events are the most popular in terms of participation. They gather the biggest crowds. Uh, for example, the upcoming Polish Team Championships, with, which happens uh, less than a, in less than a month, has like 250 people signed up, which is one of the biggest crowds we've ever gathered in here. Um, in comparison, my singles events that I actually organized, which was the biggest singles event for years, had like 80 people. So the, the, as you can see, the difference is massive. However, um, both of these, uh, both singles and teams events, are taken into consideration uh, for gathering our ranking points. We usually don't use uh, ITs, um, ITC system at all in Poland. We don't really like BCP, for example. Um, we usually That's use why we 30. can never find your events. <laughs> That's the thing. So if you want to um, look for Polish events, for example, what's happening our lists, I would consider checking out Turnikeeper. It's a pay, uh, it's a um, website designed for team play mainly. I think it was actually designed by one of the w uh, previous ETC members to manage team events. We have adopted this uh, particular uh, website for our events as our like go-to instead of BCP because it just works better for us and we are just so used to it now. Um, so all of these events are taken into our own national league instead of um, gathering ITC points. This league has, um, for some people, it is very crucial to get as uh, good a result as possible in a, in a given season. For others, it's a minor thing that they are just participating in, um, like just by going to tournaments when, uh, that they are enjoy going to. However, um, for some time now, it's been uh, a kind of a rule that we've established that the actual top three uh, players in a season from the rankings are taken automatically into the national team. It's a big point of discussion within the community if that system will be kept up, for example, for our next season. But it's been um, a thing that happens basically for, for many, many years. This year was quite a, kind of special because some of the people that actually achieved that first place in a season actually decided to forego their um, automatic, um, uh, automatic place that they are... Um, given in the national team and instead join the normal selection process that everybody else needs to go through, which was a, like a, also a huge uh, change from previous years and something that hasn't really happened because one of the, actually the highest reward you can gain from actually winning the uh, national league is automatically getting, getting the team, which is pretty much a goal for every um, competitive player in Poland, or at least a group, uh, a big group of them, right? So it's a, both singles and team events counts towards this, and some players definitely are more single-minded, uh, singles-minded, and some are just playing teams. A lot of people that you can see in our national team, for example, just literally never play a singles event in a year. Um, the biggest example of that, I think, is, uh, for example, Gita, our Necrons players, so who you will almost never find playing a singles event in the country ever. Yeah, there's just players who have a specific style of format that they prefer and they just stick with it. Makes perfect sense. And I love to see that you guys have like a healthy single side as well as a team side. That it just shows like you have a thriving 40k scene, which is something we don't really talk about, the Polish 40k scene. So I love shedding some light on it. You mentioned your team selection process a little bit and how like maybe the, the top three qual finishers of your Polish ranking 
they qualify automatically. Maybe that'll stay. Maybe that won't. How does the rest of your team get decided? So um, the system is actually pretty democratic, uh, which I really enjoy uh, its current state. I think it's going to happen year after year. I mean, it clearly works. So something's going on uh, right there. Um, the season begins after, uh, let's say, about a month after the pre previous ETC slash WTC has ended. And this is the time where um, people can ap uh, like apply to actually be um, selectors for the national team. So instead of having a chosen one person who is the captain year after year, we have the option to decide who is going, going to select the team in a given season. They need to come up, um, present their program of sorts, uh, what they are planning to do with the selection, what they are going to change or keep from a different from a year. Basically, they present their idea for the selection uh, for a given year. And it's usually a team of selectors. Uh, this year it was three people. I think it's going to stay uh, three people for the next uh, at least foreseeable time because it works just so well. And those three people are then uh, decided on through from any applications by a vote of basically um, coordinators, so let's say representatives from local communities. They actually vote on who is going to be the selector for the national team. The selectors then get uh, chosen, a group of three. Uh, this year it was me, uh, Myson, who was in the national team, and Duda, who is a legend of the community, also was in the national team. Um, and we then have the opportunity to decide the rest of the squad and actually process the the set in motion the whole process of selecting the national team, including all the sparrings, the scrimmage, the, the, all the stuff that happens. That's super exciting. I love that process. I wish America had was as put together in terms of procedural stuff. Hopefully in the future they get a little more formal with that and a little more procedural. Uh, as of lately, it's been captain picks the squad and captain picks the squad and so on and so forth. But I think there is reform coming. Uh, in terms mm -hmm. of Poland, though, you obviously have a great selection process your your democratic system of electing selectors to then select the team essentially with inputs from the local regions it works and it, it certainly takes into account it gets you the best players i guess i should say that what factors do you consider aside from like strictly performance when you're evaluating someone's likelihood of making the team i think number one for us especially this year has been engagement mm. being in the national team as everybody who has ever applied will know that being a national team is just a monstrous task of uh, and time commitment is the biggest thing. You need to actually show us that your will to be in the national team to represent the country uh, in such a great tournament as it's WTC, uh, you need to show us the work that you put into this hobby. It's kind of a second job. Let's not just beat around the bush. For some, it especially takes a huge amount of time and effort to apply, to practice, to show results, to go to international events, for example. Um, it's a lot of work. And I think the number one thing you need to show us is the commitment. So uh, the biggest part is no one from, for example, now that even that we won, no one in the team that just won has automatic place in the team that's going to show up to the next WTC. It's just really? not a thing. Uh, yes. I assume like some it's of just, them would just stay. I mean, if they still show us that, or, or even me as a like, team captain, I have no guaranteed spot next year. That's we awesome. all need I to show, really yeah, we need to all show again in the pre next upcoming season that we are still uh, on the same level, that we still practice, that we still are super on top of everything, that we have new ideas, that we haven't given up or 
um, basically chilled down and are still, we need to show that we are still hungry for, for the win and for going. So um, I think that's the number one thing. Yeah. Uh, the, actually, the that's a great answer too. I, I'm not what I expected, but definitely makes a lot of sense. Like just willing to work the hardest. Yeah, legitimately. I think this is the number one thing. Um, actually, re- actual results from the tournaments, for example, are something that we definitely look at, but is a very minor thing, I would say, in the grand scheme of things. It is something that definitely shows us that a player, if a player is able to achieve a top spots at any given event. That clearly shows that they are on top of the meta, right? So in that sense, it's definitely valuable information. But not every single event is worth uh, as much as any other event, for example, right? Not always is the field as strong at one event as the other, stuff like this. So we take that into account when judging particular players, for example. Um, the other thing is practice, international practice especially. It's something that we've started doing this year much more, and I'm very proud of that, is going to many uh, international events, playing international players and like testing um, the prospects to be able to play a game at an international event, being as communicative as possible at the table, because we all know how, um, how awesome let's be honest, the Warhammer scene, competitive scene has become throughout the years, and being able to very clearly communicate with your opponent right now when not playing in your native language, let's be honest, is also a skill that any uh, anyone applying for the national team um, must show that they possess or they need to learn that. It's almost as if you're ability to play Warhammer at the highest level is like a prerequisite. You just have to be able to do it. And all these external factors about like who you are as a person and the work you're willing to put in, the traveling, the being able to communicate, the sportsmanship, all of that is what you actually look for beyond your Warhammer skill. It's pretty much the case. I think I have, I'm going to be honest here. I have no idea what kind of like, uh, juice is fed into us that we have actually the skill to to play warhammer i don't know what scarf is, uh, has been has been drinking i have a whole life. question set for scarf don't get me started <laughs> <laughs> but there's something in the national community especially the competitive part of it that really makes us good at this game which is very weird um, so just being good is basically never enough to get into that team the skill is a huge part of it don't get me wrong. There's nobody uh, applying for, like, you cannot get into Team Poland without being one of the best players in the world. That's my opinion. But yeah, clearly, yeah. So, but, how but many. Just play- being good is not enough. Right. How many players were new to the team, first year playing and competing? This year, it was two. Uh, it was Victor, who our Custodes player. He actually is one of the. Craziest stories, I think, in in the Polish scene. He is playing Warhammer for... He has been playing for Warhammer for two years, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, and he's already escalated this level. He hasn't started even at the beginning of 9th edition. I think he started at the the half point of 9th edition. His first competitive year, he has won the National League. Straight up. Then, after that, he decided that he drops the... His, like... um, Pay the, his place uh, from winning the league in the team, and he's just joining the normal selection process, and it's up for the selectors to decide if he actually gets into the team. Then he goes to, like, I want to say seven international events uh, across England, uh, the Alpine Cup in Austria, uh, 
so many different events uh, for uh, French War Game Day, for example, and plays in all of them, and then just improves so much that he's a clear choice to take into the team. If, so, and he then wins the WTC with us. So you can see just Im- incredible amounts of improvement and work on his level. Yeah, absolutely. That's insane. I mean, it just goes to show like the caliber of player that you guys bring to the tabletop. It's no wonder you have such a dominating history and you take it so seriously. It's awesome. With yeah. players like Michael Duda and Skark, and for those of you who are listeners who maybe don't know who I'm talking about, these are long-term Polish WTC players, probably on the Polish team longer than I've been playing 40K. And they are just monsters. Every like Skark won highest point score with Astra Militarum. <laughs> Killing Gene Stealer, Cole. I don't even know what I was watching over the weekend. It was crazy. So, like, you kind of alluded to the fact that you don't know what makes them good, but what makes them good? I mean, how is this possible? What Stark is just built different. What is going on over there? That's a that's a that's one of the most difficult questions, right? Because I kind of have the same thing as you. Like, how does he actually do it? Like, um, you watch his games. I imagine <laughs> you play with him. Like, I want to know. Yeah, I play, I play with every one of these guys. I sometimes beat them, right? <laughs> I know it's possible to actually beat them. Um, I think it's a combination of uh, incredible amount of practice, especially this year that we have put on. Um, we often also really expect everybody. I think it's one of the things. We have this approach of playing the worst possible scenario, let's say. So mm, this testing approach of if I'm testing against a certain list, I am assuming my opponent plays perfectly. They have the best list possible for the particular matchup, and I'm probably playing on the worst table and the worst mission. And throwing yourself into that space and actually trying to find ways to gain every, to scratch for every single point in that particular matchup just teaches you so much about how, th- how this game can actually progress. That then, if you go to an event and um, come across an opponent who has maybe doesn't have perfect, absolutely perfect information how your list plays, right? Then they actually make some mistakes. No, uh, no one has ever played a perfect game of 40k. I really believe that. And because of that, if your if the mission is slightly different, um, if your opponent play, play, uh, makes a slight mistake you now are able to capitalize so much better on everything that they've given you. I think this is what makes us just very focused around getting every single point out of those games. And sometimes if that happens, that also activates this part of you um, that suddenly realizes that you can get a win out of a draw. That from this situation, even though you were expected to lose this game, you actually open up a window to win. And I think we are just so good at finding those spaces to win because we are so used to playing the differential system. It's a big part of it as well, of course. What does that look like on the table if we could get a little more specific with it? I mean, I totally see the value of like playing a game to its fullest completion, just never easing off the gas, trying to test on the hardest mode possible. But like, how do you turn that into a win on the table? Is it your opponent makes a mistake and you're able to capitalize? Like, what kind of mistake opens that much of a difference up? I think it's very dependent on the matchup you're playing, right? And the army you are playing yourself. But I think um, setting up those situations that punish your opponent effectively is difficult. You need to plan way more ahead than you usually would 
um, basically sometimes even setting up some traps that your opponent may fall down into. Because, for example, they haven't expected you to make that choice, or that choice seems bad to them. But actually, it's a, it's a scheme to kind of uh, use the opportunities to make your opponent lose points wherever possible. To think of a very specific situation would be very difficult. But let's say, okay, I'm going to give you an example for something for, that's very close to my heart. Um, for example, I'm playing Thousand Suns against Guard. I think that's something that's uh, very, uh, something that I've experienced a lot uh, throughout the last couple of months. Sure. And one of the thing, one of the major decision points there is that does your guard, uh, guard player, uh, your opponent, for example, shoots at Magnus at all? It's a question that is often asked when playing against Thousand Suns. You're playing guard. You usually, you uh, usually have a lot of artillery pieces but actually not that much anti-tank weaponry in the terms of um, direct guns that can blow uh, Magnus off the table. Instead, you have a lot of artillery pieces that are meant to clear up infantry. That you can plink down Magnus, for example, in your first turn to half wounds, using almost all of your shooting. Do you do that? Do you make that choice? Or do you ignore him and just shoot everything else? It's a huge decision point. It is something that's very not obvious to see on the table, unless you've played this matchup multiple times. So... In this kind of situation, uh, if you know perfectly what to do, uh, you'd probably want to actually clear up Magnus, at least half uh, damage him. Because you know in the pr uh, next turns, that Magnus still is going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem that tries to uh, close you in your deployment zone, uh, try to uh, engage you in your deployment zone, try to pressure you into giving up a space on the board. So you are going to deal with, have to deal with him either way. Now, only very good opponent actually would sacrifice all of his shooting in one turn to just do a, like 8 or, or 9 damage to Magnus and leave him at half wounds, just because he realizes that this is going to be a problem. And the, if your opponent doesn't actually know that and shoots at every, anything else, that Magnus is probably going to score you a lot of points. So this is this kind of decision-making um, that a little bit um, sets up a trap for your opponent, right? Do you want to shoot that uh, Rhino in the open? Should, do you want to shoot that other squad that's scoring me points right now? Or do you want to deal with that future threat? And if, you, uh, if your opponent, the guard player in this case, decides wrongly to just don't forever focus on Magnus, that probably enables you to score higher. And that's the most, like... Um, in-game situation I could uh, think of. I think that was a really great example. I think a lot of people could see both sides to the argument, right? You put all of your artillery and fire into Magnus, and he probably doesn't die. Because your artillery is not that great into him, and he can go minus one damage. It's brutal. But there's also the very juicy target of my artillery is great into foot space marines. You know, I'm going to pick up so many rubric marines turn one, and if I kill all the rubric marines pretty quickly, Magnus can fly around in circles, doing whatever he pleases, he's not going to win the game by himself. And intuitively, as not a guard player, I'll, I'll preface, my instinct was you shoot all of the, the tanks at the Rubik Marines and win the game that way. And you having experience in this matchup, it basically said, that's essentially a trap because Magus will win the game from that position. You won't kill all the Rubik Marines and you'll end up not winning the game through that. So it's a points thing. And there's so many people, Team America included, I'll be honest, I imagine, who would play the Guard vs. Thousand Suns game 
maybe try it out twice, once where the guard goes first, once where the Thousand Sons go first, and see how it goes both ways, and then call that sufficient in terms of knowledge about that matchup, and then move on. But there's it, it never fully explores all the different permutations, the decision points, and if this, then that, in terms of, oh, they made this decision point, so now I can accurately predict later on in my team, I'm actually going to turn this 8 into a 12. This is wonderful. And then you can report that back to your coach, whatever, and your team can benefit from the knowledge that way, I imagine. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's a very specific example, of course, because um, just to be perfectly like clear, I'm not t- saying in this particular uh, situation that I've, uh, I've established here, there is a good or bad choice. It's all dep- It's all still always dependent on the mission you're playing, on the very specific build that you are both playing, on your deployment, for example. So there's no certain answer. There's no magic key to resolving a game of Warhammer 40,000, is what I'm saying. But those are the situations and those situations that develop during the game that you need to acknowledge to push the scholars higher in every situation. And it is something that I think is innately natural to us because we are so used to the system. So it obviously takes a lot of time to prepare for WTC, and you alluded to that. Um, When you're testing armies, and there's a brand new edition drop in June, and the game is completely rewritten, and you have to relearn every index in the game. This is the same place every country found themselves in. And you have you know, a team of eight players plus a support staff, and you have to identify with accuracy what's good, what's bad, how does it all fit together, create a team cohesively. Like how, what does that even look like? That's such a monumental project. And on top of that, like this is not your job. You have lives outside of this, families, work, whatever. Yeah, it's one of the biggest tasks uh, any Warhammer player, I think, can embark on. Um, and it's a monumental thing to achieve. Uh, and I want to be perfectly honest here. We have not tested every single list at WTC. Uh, like everybody in the WTC has come up with. It's just not feasible. It's never going to happen. And it's, I think, the most important thing is making your um, every single game that you play count. You need to take very constructive um, conclusions from every single play game you play, regardless of your score. Not every single game that you win against someone else's army actually means that you should win this matchup. I think having a very educated discussion with your teammates that you rely on in this case is what makes you understand the matchup more deeply. And the score is very much secondary to that. Because one of the biggest hurdles, and I believe everybody who has attended WDC will test, is if you are grabbing some obscure list from another country that you, are, you haven't built yourself, you have no clear idea how it is supposed to play, you will not play that list perfectly. You never will. You never can pick up an army that has been tested multiple times and developed over multiple iterations and give it a fair shot at playing it at its peak. So you must always assume, assume that the person testing the list is playing um, not perfectly, right? So now I think the discussion ab- around the game about the possibilities, about decision points that happened throughout the game, about the profiles and what could have been, 
I think this is where you can gain a lot of information. And this is how you basically turn your testing uh, and the time that you commit into those games into what's, has, what's actually information that's valuable uh, for, to you at the pairings table, at, at, at the actual table. I think um, that was a phenomenal answer. I mean, honestly, I'm sorry to cut you off. That was just great. Yeah. So the other whole side of this is actually coming up with a team composition to such an event. Uh, it's been my job mainly, along with Myson, to come up with a team composition that's going to fit this, uh, this new addition. And it's always kind of like shooting into the dark because I can assure you, Everybody, this this two month period before WTC is always hilarious because it's like the whole competitive or hammer world across all countries just shuts down and everybody keeps to themselves, just trying to come up with the the edge that they can have over their opponent. Yeah, try getting so, podcast guests during this time. It's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I can very much believe so. Uh, and suddenly you. You try to assess the meta that's coming up without actually knowing what the meta is. It's super intense. It's super difficult. And now you, you are still guessing. Let's be honest. I can like try to muddle the waters and say we definitely had the best choice and we expected everything that came up um, in those lists, but we definitely didn't. Uh, nobody did. I can attest to that. I can assure you no single team and no single person had an uh, idea that everybody's going to bring those particular lists. So in this process, um, our process as Poland, uh, and something that has been, I've learned uh, extensively from actually Typhus, our previous uh, team captain who has taught me everything about uh, guiding a, an eight-man team towards the high, highest placings in WTC, is try to prepare answers or armies that particular particular builds that will answer armies you are expecting. You won't expect every single army to come up. You will try. You will improvise during the event, sure. But trying to come up with any answers to the to the armies that definitely will be there, because let's be honest, everybody will have Eldari in WTC and GSC. That's just going to happen. And trying to develop the team comp where you don't have weak spots that can be um, abused in that sense is very crucial. And it's very difficult, and I've spent way too much time, I want to say, <laughs> doing that throughout the last two months. You can't say that after you've won. It sounds like just the right <laughs> amount of time. Let's go. Uh, first, thankfully, it actually uh, turned out to be the winning sauce. Uh, I'm very glad that it did, but holy shit, the last two months, I must say, has been a real roller coaster. One of the biggest challenges I've found from my experience with the team is that when it comes to crunch time, like those months, June, July, leading up to the big show, when, as you said, everyone shuts down, it gets very insular. Ideas start flying, egos get heated, people are trying to, you know, they have one opinion about something, the other guy has the other opinion. It can get not ugly but it can get tense and it can be hard to manage and everyone has an opinion everyone's obviously very qualified on their opinion so it's hard to make decisions and really put people where they need to be and get a cohesive team out of it what has your experience been like captaining that that is a 
very like a great point that you've uh, mentioned. It's something that I don't think often, but definitely happens. Uh, if you have discussions around a particular list or armies, there will be people who have different opinions all the time, and they all of the opinions can actually be valid. And trying to develop a team in such a way that everybody's opinion um, is valid, but also that they it you must always accept you have you need to have such players that their ego doesn't um, blind them to the fact that their opinion might actually be wrong. It's crucial because that's how you get those flips. It's one of the the things that's definitely one of the biggest hurdles would be a case where your player definitely a 100% thinks one matchup is good for them and then on the table and even though everybody disagrees with him he's playing that army so he has the like the the last opinion on that and then on the table he finds out it might not be true one of the things how we have um practiced for the WTC throughout uh, the last two years actually is doing international scrim events uh, we use tts which is tabletop simulator to get together a team of eight and practice against other international teams in those uh, scrimmages especially at the start of the season uh, many people take um take uh, participate in the in them it's not very closed uh, it kind of is aimed also to develop the polish community as a whole to give everyone a chance to practice to see if they are fit for the national team and in those events uh, we oftentimes uh, test maybe unusual list uh, the, basically the win is not the most important thing however um, in many cases i would find that people cannot for example assess their list properly against some opponents and we oftentimes deliberately deliberately would put them into those good matchups that they've marked as good but we really had the intuition that they are supposed to lose that matchup it happened on multiple occasions it is something that actually can uh, make a player uh, realize that their opinion might be skewed and they don't know everything because nobody in Warhammer does this. I think it's kind of developed a system where ego of a player or their opinion is always, they are lear learning to question their own opinion and seek for a solution or opinions of different people as they realize after some time that their view of such a matchup, for example, is not always ideal. And I think it's something that helped us immensely because, especially this year, I feel like every single discussion about every single list has been very uh, civil. It's also been very educated uh, for everybody involved. Uh, it's been huge this year, and it's so definitely a big part of how to develop and progress with the team. That's really cool. And I, I'm glad you guys found a really awesome solution. I know America's getting more involved with those online international scrimmages. And I think that's a great point, especially for those newer prospects type players. New kids always think that they know all the answers. And they come in and they have no idea what they're doing at WTC and they get absolutely butt blasted. And getting it out of the way before you get to the real event is a great way to do that. I think it's awesome. Definitely. So... I want to take a second here and congratulate you once more on an amazing finish on first place at the WTC. That's super exciting, and I'm sure you'll be back for more. I know we're very hungry to hopefully take you down off your podium. Um, 
if you could give us any parting thoughts for part one, what would they be? Mm. I just want to take this opportunity uh, to ta- to thank every single player, every single person that has been involved in the team in this year's success. It's this success has many fathers, like so many I couldn't even mention all of them. Um, thank you for all the players, uh, our coaches, our support staff, everybody who's been testing with us throughout those last uh, months. Uh, thank you to Typhus for being an uh, uh, absolute mentor to me and all the other people. Uh, thank you for our sponsors that enabled us to go. Uh, it's a gl- great pleasure to be in this particular spot that I am in, uh, but I never want to take highlight of the whole team uh, because what they've done is great. And thank you for them. Uh, thank you. Uh, I really thank you th- uh, them for that achievement. Very well said. Awesome, Pumba. Well, I'll catch you back in on part two. Listeners, I'll see you there as well. You can subscribe to AOW40K.com. That is our Patreon. Gets you access to all of our part twos and our Discord server. In part two of this discussion, we're going to talk about what actually happened at the World Team Championships. We figured out how they build a team. We figured out how they prepare. We figured out how they practice. We figured out that Polish people are literally just built different. But you know, we haven't figured out what happened. America gave them their draw. They still won first place. They dominated almost every single top team in the building. How did they do it? Who's the defenders? Who's the attackers? How do they play their games? We're going to find out next episode in part two on Patreon. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.